all just represents that we are together around what we love. We're together around what we love. And then when you move to the, the, the picnic or the picnic basket, this is representative of us being around the things that we love to do. Okay, that's what we love. This is what we love to do. And then this is around with the people that we love. These are the people that are most like us, the most people we can relate to. Uh, and then, then we have the coffee mug. Uh, this is the one that loves uh, perfectly. And, and it isn't that it's perfect love, that, that it's perfectly love, but it's to the place where you can be transparent. Bible says that, that the uh, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. So there needs to be people in our life where we can be completely transparent with and we can talk to about the issues and the things that uh, we don't necessarily talk to anybody else about. And then this represents the one we love. This is representative of the God, the great God of heaven. It's Jesus Christ. His spirit brings us to this place where we are continually coming back to the one we love. And as, as we looked at last week, and this is important you understand this because we kind of build on this today, is that when we start being followers of Jesus, Christianity is both spiritual and social. And when, when Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, your strength, that's the spiritual piece. That's this. And then love your neighbor as yourself, that's that. That's the social part. It's the part where we're uh, intimately involved with somebody. And when I say intimate, I don't mean sexually. I'm talking about intimately being into me see. Okay, so there's that, that dynamic of fellowship here. All the way down to the place where we are gathered around people that are kind of like-minded uh, with us. And so, uh, and the whole series connect comes from ultimately this, this place that we gave a while back, uh, two, two weeks ago, is that, is that we follow a God who desires unity. So in all of these areas, we're unified here, we're unified here, we're unified here. The dynamic of unity changes here and here. But we serve a God who desires that in all the environments, everywhere we go, every, with everybody, that there's unity. And so for those who are not unified down there with him, our responsibility is to bring them into unity with him, to give them the opportunity to have this relationship and this relationship and the, the larger context of relationship. Which brings us to communion. Go ahead and grab your communion. We're not going to partake of communion, but I want, want it in your hand the entire time I talk today. Because... We don't really think of communion and all of these environments. In fact, you may think of communion as nothing more than a religious reminder to help you recognize what Jesus Christ has done, like you forgot the previous time what took place. The, the, the fact that you think it's nothing more than to help us remember uh, really is just saying that God recognized that, a, that our flesh needed help in memory, memorization. That's not the truth. That's not the fact. There's, there's a greater reality to communion that affects every one of these environments. As some of you are, are going to be moving towards Thanksgiving and you're going to be around people that you aren't necessarily all in love with. Because, you know... You know how it is, right? Because we, we, all, we all have that member of our family. If you don't have that member of your family, it could be that you're that member of the family. Just saying, just saying. Because we recognize that not everybody's elevator goes to the top floor, right? 
and they, they tend to show up at Thanksgiving. And so, and so when, we, it's when we get to these moments, we get to these times, we don't recognize that, that Christ still has an objective. He still has a purpose. And so a big part of what the Lord is attempting to, to grow all of us in here is to know how the presence of Jesus is active in every environment that we are in which I think it just dovetails so well with what Bill is talking about and the anointing, that, that Jesus really is alive and active in our world. That means, that means for, for me yesterday as I was watching the, the, the Tennessee-Georgia game, and there was 93,000 people, and I'm, I'm, of all the years I've watched sports, I've never heard a crowd quite so loud. And even as Tennessee is losing... And there are thousands of people praying for Tennessee to win. Jesus was still involved. Not necessarily in the winning and the losing, because he loves both sides. But he was still involved. And to understand that, that's what takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a, is a commonly used portion of Scripture, but a rarely understood portion of Scripture. And starting in verse 17... I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, which is common for us. Paul's, Paul writes it this way. He says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Let me stop right here just for a minute, because it's this kind of verse that we can get hung up on, where we're like, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Because in our divisive day, uh, we, don't, we don't really fully get what Paul is saying here. This isn't, this isn't a Democrat versus Republican thing. This isn't a, you know, I've been a Christian longer than you've been a Christian. But what it does illustrate is, is this overall point of all that he's writing about is that each and every one of us need a level of discernment in our life. And when you have a level of discernment, you can recognize the activity of Jesus in and through people's lives. There's just something you can see. And we live in a day where, where our discernment is, is not something that's developed. And so that really is ultimately what we're going to come back to. But let me read just a little bit further. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's... Um, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead um, with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? That's a very important question. And it has far-reaching implications than just those who are poor. What he is asking is that, do you, in your actions, in your way of living, are you willing to despise God's church? Hmm, that's strong. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have, and a number of you have fallen asleep. It's just another way that he's saying some have died prematurely. But if you were more discerning with regard to yourself, to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you, eat, uh, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Now, here's what Paul has done. Think of it as a sandwich. He's given the bread of the problem, the meat, which is the answer, and the bread, which is the result of the unsolved problem. He is saying that our social life affects our spiritual life. That's what he's saying. Our social life, the way we interact from here to here, affects our spiritual life. And there are people that don't get that. They think that communion is nothing more than something we do to keep our memories active. But it is far more than that. Far more than that. And so Paul, he lays this out in a, in a time period where uh, they had to understand that communion unifies the body of Christ. Here's the, and that's the main connect this morning. You've got to understand this. That communion unifies the body of Christ. You may have heard of communion used this way, Eucharist. That is more closely related to the biblical word where we get uh, the, the idea of communion, because it means thanksgiving. That when we come together and we receive of the body and we receive of the blood, that we are saying we are thankful for what Christ has done on the cross. Now, Paul is writing to the people of Corinth, and Corinth was an incredibly wealthy city. Now, this can be hard because this is, this is certainly ancient days for us, so it'll be hard for us to imagine living in a, in, a, in a part of the world that is extremely wealthy. And it was known for, get this, self-promotion. Can you imagine that? A culture that would live a dynamic of life that is all about self-promoting? 
And so the, the whole letter, first letter of Corinthians, really can be kind of just brought, brought into two areas. One, stop living like the rest of the world and get rid of any superior thinking that you have. These are the two dynamics. So when Paul is bringing us to that place of communion, he's, de- he's dealing with a mindset of superiority. I've got it all worked out. God's on my side, and, and let me show you how he's done this, 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 and this in my life. He's promoted me. He's given me wealth. He's done all these things for me. And so when they came together, it wasn't about promoting the one, but it became about promoting self. And so he's addressing this. He's like, we have to, communion's intended to push back to move back, to challenge any kind of self-promoting thought that is in our heart and mind. That's the objective of communion. It pushes back you thinking that you're so stinking good. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's intended for me not to think higher of myself than I should. Here's, Here's the essence of what Paul is saying. He's saying, When we come to this place, when we come to the place of understanding the power of the the salvation of our soul through through the death of Jesus Christ, through what his body endured and his blood being spilled out, we are to come in union. We are to come in a oneness because we are giving thanks to the same reality that we are all God's chosen people that we were all bought with a price, that God desires unity because he himself is unified. So he went to the cross so we could be unified with him. We come with a recognition that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ because we all have the same father. We're all born again into the same family. In other words, there are no favorites with God. Let me say that again because some of you got to get this. I am not more of God's favorite than you. But here's the thing. When I'm in these times, I still feel so favored. And I do, and I should, because I'm receiving this dynamic of love that I can deal with the rest of my environments, not from a place of superiority, but from a place of recognizing that I'm already loved, that I can't get any better kind of love from anybody in any other environment than the God, God himself. So I walk in a strength. And so, so over, over time, there have been two main beliefs when it comes to communion. One, when it comes to communion, is, is the belief that when we partake of the elements, when we partake of the bread, it becomes supernaturally the body of Jesus Christ. So we are taking in the body of Christ. When, when we partake of the, the fruit of the vine, that it supernaturally turns into the blood of Jesus. Certainly when Jesus is talking, in, I think it's in Mark, he says that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And a good part of the disciples said, See ya. Because they, they couldn't handle that. Uh, they're like, we're not into cannibalism. And some of you are thinking that very same thing. I'm not into cannibalism. I don't, I don't. Listen, it doesn't matter what you believe there. Of course, the, the, when you came to, to Martin Luther, there was a kind of a break from that strong of belief that there is a dynamic of the remembrance of Jesus that caused supernaturally the presence of Jesus to be in our midst. 
that Jesus is there. Now, I, I believe it's somewhere in the middle. I believe there is a supernatural component that is intended to be enacted when we socially come together. So when we come together and we partake of the elements, we are saying, Jesus, you are in our midst, which is why so oftentimes it's, it's described, it's given this picture of coming to the, the table of the Lord because, or, you know, in the, in the gospels, that's, they were at the, they're around the table. So we get this idea of the table, but I want you to look at the table just a little bit different than, than the gospels. Cause I want to tell you a little bit about a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Not necessarily a popular guy in scripture. Maybe you've never heard of that name before. But he lived well before Jesus came. And he lived during a time where his, his, um, uh, his uncle was, or his grandfather would have been um, Saul, the first, the first king of Israel. And, and Saul was not a king that was a righteous king. He was, he was set aside from the Lord because he just wouldn't do what the Lord wanted him to do. And, uh, and so David rose up as king. And any time that there, you had a, 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 switch, a, a time where there was a change of leadership, it wasn't a matter of people on news media arguing about who's right and who's wrong. If you weren't part of the king's family and you were the new king's family, you just killed everybody else within the other king's family. And so Mephibosheth, he, he feared for his life. But because of his father, Jonathan, David wanted to bless him. Now, what's interesting about Mephibosheth is that when Saul's family was running, he was just a, he was just a little tyke, little Mephibosheth. And he was dropped along the way. And he had, basically, his feet wouldn't allow him to walk. He couldn't walk. His, his feet looked funny. And so David comes to him and, and, and says, you are going to eat at the king's table your entire life. Now, some of you need to get this. It's so important. When he sat at the king's table, his infirmity... His, his, his thing that set him apart, the thing that the world looked at and said you were less than, the thing that didn't allow him to walk like everybody else was under the table. It was not looked at. It was not recognized. When they were all out the table, they were all together. And so when we come to the communion table, all of the stuff is put under the table. And that's something Paul's fighting against here. He's recognizing that that wasn't the case, that they weren't coming together in any form of unity. But this, this says we can all eat at the king's table, which means every sin, every bad decision of your life, every issue that the devil seems to bring up, every shortcoming that somebody in your family always reminds you of, when it comes to the God of the universe and you come to this place, all of those issues are under the table. And there are people in our lives who take this and still remind you of what's under the table. And that's a problem. And so Paul says you've got to come in union. And so when we come in union... Uh, this is kind of the growth piece for us. This is, this is the place that we kind of step into and say, okay, this is, this is the way we ought to do it. I was taught if you, had, if you had relational issues, just don't take communion. That's what I was taught. I, I'm not teaching that this morning. Because there's no reason for us not to first recognize. That's the first thing we got to do. 
Because when we come to communion, communion is intended to help us to recognize the issues that are going on socially. Paul said, if you were, uh, if you were more discerning with the regard to ourselves. This, this is intended for us to be a time where our discernment grows, where we begin to recognize that, wait a minute, I'm just not going to flippantly take communion, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit begin to help me to recognize the, the social issues that I have. Now, I know nobody aimed to into that, but it's still true. We don't live in a world that, that encourages us to, in any area of discernment. You could take anything from mainstream news to Facebook and TikTok, and there are millions of voices where people are doing the discerning for you. And what we tend to do is we tend to parrot those things. And we call that discernment. Well, we've discerned who to listen to. Communion says, let's come back to the right place to listen. Let's come back to what absolute truth is. Yesterday, we were watching um, one of the games, and, uh, and there was a play, and it was replayed on video, I don't know, five times, three of us in the room, and none of us can agree on what was truth. Because, because we live in a day that it's not just what you hear, it's the things you see. And so with that, you tend to have this shifting sand, which makes it very difficult in which to build authentic biblical relationships from. But when you come back to absolute truth, then you can go, okay, now the Lord's beginning to show me that I have an issue in a particular area. Now, why is... Before we get to the full discernment thing, why is even the discernment important? And here's going to separate the majority of the people in the room, and I pray it's not the case, but I still believe it's the case. It's that most people who come to Jesus, they think it's just this. And so when they think it's just this, they're not really in a relationship that is um, transparent. They're only going to allow people around them that they decide love them. And certainly, Jesus doesn't join us in our softball game, and he certainly doesn't involve himself when we come around something we love. But throughout the ages, this always had to do with the activity and the presence of Jesus. And so... Paul is dealing with the lack of the presence of Jesus in the lives of the people in church. He, he uses two, two, two things there. He says, when you meet, okay, so that it wasn't necessarily even on Sunday. It could have been in this environment. It could be in this environment. Uh, Sunday can easily be around an activity that we love to do, like come and sing, because we all like the same songs. We all like the same people. Uh, it can even be this for some people. We just love church, so we come, and there's not really a spiritual component to it, but we just come anyway. And what Paul is saying is that in all of these environments, the presence of Jesus is being restricted. And so if your desire 
is that the presence of Jesus is a reality for you as much on a Sunday morning as it is at Thanksgiving dinner, then you're going to take this communion properly. You're going to approach it properly. Because Paul, in another way of saying it, he's saying that the way you treat people is the way you treat Jesus. The way you treat people is the way you treat Jesus. So every time I treat somebody as they are less than, unimportant, and I'm unkind to them, I am treating Jesus the exact same way. And so what happens without even recognizing it, because we don't, we're not recognizing, we're not discerning our life here. What happens is it's, it's, like, it's like the person that their favorite restaurant over their life is McDonald's. Okay? Those Big Macs are real good for the moment. Those chicken nuggets, man, they satisfy for the afternoon. But all the time, inside your arteries are doing this. And, and, and what happens is, is whenever we take communion and we don't discern, we don't recognize what God is saying in our life, our spirituality is going, and we are closing off, clogging up the ability for the life of Jesus to be known in us and through us. So we should always be able to, to answer the question, where is the activity of Jesus in your life? Let me just walk through this a minute. Everybody, oh yeah, I hear from him right here. Okay, what's he saying to you? Okay, what's he doing in you? What's he doing around you? What's he doing through you? What's he doing through you? There's these different activities that the life of Jesus begins to be expressed in our life, but when we don't take the time to recognize there is a reason he died, so there is a reason we should live. And so when we begin to recognize, because it should happen every time, there should never be a time where we're not recognizing that the Holy Spirit is yet prompting us again. We respond to it. We just say, say, Lord, forgive me for that. That's not the person that I want to be. Will you come and forgive me? See, I, I, I've, over the years, I've passed along. I see the people who've learned just don't take. That just hardens your heart. But when you recognize there's an issue, respond to it. Say, Lord, forgive me for that. And then, and then what happens is you recalibrate. When I think of recalibrate, I think every time I put on, you know, the, the maps thing on my phone, and I take a left when I should have took a right, and it's saying recalibrating. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's telling us to do. We're going the wrong direction. So now we've got to turn. We've got to now say, Lord, okay, I don't even like that person, let alone love them. But you do. You have to help me. You have to put that love in my heart. And so, so then what you're doing is all of a sudden, the moment you pray that, the Lord is helping you to recalibrate. Because now watch this. You'll begin to discern the relationship differently. Because it'll be less about them and more about Jesus in you. Because the goal, ultimately here, it's, it's the presence of Jesus everywhere in our life. How many prayers have you prayed that did not have the, the flow of Jesus enough to come and see transformation? Lord, forgive us. We want to recalibrate. I... I 
I, I believe that, that, you know, there's Mike, I come from a family that always, always heart disease has been the, been the big thing. I'm looking forward to the day and believing before Jesus comes back that if I ever have any heart issues, that they've got nanobites, that I'm not afraid of it being the mark of the beast, can enter my bloodstream and start eating all of those little, uh, you know, clogged areas around that uh, cholesterol has built up over the years. And then I go to the bathroom and they're gone. When we, when we ask the Lord for forgiveness and we then allow him to recalibrate our life, it's like the nanobites going in spiritually and start taking those things away. So let me finish up this way. Simply, when we think about the go piece, there's the, I want to come back to the lamp. And the, and the critical piece here, and this is when we come in, the, the lamp, it's in his presence that I'm in agreement with him. The, the wording there is very important. He's not in agreement with me. I'm in agreement with him. I may argue with him about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but everything's contingent on me being in agreement with him. And so when I become in agreement with him, I can then turn and begin to then live differently in the different environments. Now, I, I know that's counter the American Christian culture because, you know, God's come along to take care of our every need. He should, he should be there agreeing with everything I want. Yeah, there's a silliness there that just goes beyond belief. He created the entire everything. I think it's best when we agree with him. And when we agree with him, his presence then begins to travel. His presence then now moves into this next dynamic where now I'm in this, I'm in this agreement and in this acknowledgement with that next, next uh, place. Because now I can, I can take it from here and acknowledge it with someone. Who is in your life that you can acknowledge you have a problem with somebody? And, and not, not so that you would go and change them, that's gossip, but this relationship is so that the person you're telling can help you change. So that whatever God has revealed here, he helps make happen here. This is why this in, intimacy is so important, into me see. He shows me, gets dealt with here at this level. Then there's the the, the, the presence of the Lord, because again, here, John talked about it this way. When we confess our sins one to another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all righteousness. See, the, the, now I'm not, I'm not into the Catholic, uh, you know, confessional booth, but they at least got that part right. There needs to be relationships in our life where we are talking about the issues that are in here. And so the, the depth of the, the, the blood of Jesus in the cleansing power happens when you're in an, in an intimate relationship, acknowledging these things with them. But then there's the little larger group where his presence then becomes in, a, in more of an advancement. This is, the, this is the dynamic of two or three people. This is the, the dynamic of six people in a life group who are urging one another on. And, and Christ is in those moments working and active. And, and, and so we can, we can talk about the things that we are looking for and desiring for. And then we can come back and we can say, this is what we witnessed. This is what we saw. And in each time we do that, without even recognizing it, there's an advancement of the presence of the Lord in each and every one of us. So that when we leave Sunday or we leave on our, in our group times, whatever that is, and we move into our activities, now the presence of Jesus moves into our activities. 
the activities vary in, in, in such wide scope. Anything from my activities at work to my, my hobbies, my fun things. I look for and long for the presence of Jesus to move through me here. And so why does that happen? Well, because I've gotten those relationships right. Because I've, I've been recalibrated as I come to the Lord in communion. So that even when I am with 93,000 other people, I can look around and go, okay, Jesus, what are you doing in this place? I want to step in. I want to be part of. Because now it's not, it's not in my activities. Now it's about my assignment. Now I'm going to go into the places where Jesus says you go into the, the byways and the, and the highways and you go and you compel them to be united with me. So now my life is lived with a dynamic of the presence of Jesus. Now get this, that our country needs significantly more than getting the right person in political office in the next few weeks. It needs people who recognize that communion is about coming in union. And so that's what we're going to do. Take your communion. We're going to come and we're going to ask the Lord by his spirit to help us to recognize where we have taken a wrong attitude toward any relationship where we've gotten any kind of superior attitude, where we think that our life is better than or should be in front of. And as, as, as we ask him to do it, listen, this is the beautiful thing about the Lord. He wants us to recalibrate, so he's given us the, the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Some of you, I, I really believe that, that when we start asking the Holy Spirit in these areas, you need to go home and you need to list all the problems that you've had over the last three years. And here's what you're going to find. The Lord's going to say, yep, I allowed that to happen. Yep, I allowed that to happen. Yep, I allowed that to happen. I've been trying to correct you. I've been trying to correct you. I've been trying to correct you. I've been trying to show you that you think you're better than. You have some right that you don't have. Because he wants us to come in union so his presence might be made known. So you're no longer sick in your body. So no longer you're weak. So people don't have to die prematurely. Don't allow your heart to be hardened and refuse. No, when you recognize, you respond. And you make the decision to allow the Spirit to help you to recalibrate toward that relationship. And so, Lord, we just come to you. We say yes and amen to the things of you. If you're here this morning, I, I think that, that first and foremost, before we even go further, the Lord is asking, will you agree with me? Will you agree with me? you may find that you are challenged agreeing with God because you don't want to go where God was asking you to go. Ask for forgiveness. Lord, we want to agree with you. And Lord, I thank you that the intent of communion is for us to, to come in union before you. And Holy Spirit, I know that you are more than capable every time to help us to recognize the relationships that have been less than you intended. Lord, while we don't necessarily have the answer how to fix those relationships, Lord, we come and we ask for you to forgive us for our part. Will you come and do that? Lord, we want to recalibrate. And Lord, we may not know the mechanics, the how-tos, 
But Lord, in our hearts, we can have the I want. And there's no better person to be led by than by you, Lord. And so, Lord, I believe that, Lord, you will lead us into reconciliation. You will lead us in our relationships out of a place of humility. Because our heart's desire, Lord, is that you would, in your presence, come and do what only you can do. And so, Lord, we're, we're still, as we do every time we partake of communion, we ask, Lord, that you would just come and you would heal our physical bodies. Would you come and heal our minds that are a little out of whack? Would you come and, and, and heal the heart that's still broken? Heal us, Lord, from the things that, uh, uh, that, that still have this controlling power in our life. Come and bring that kind of healing in your presence, Jesus. Lord, we're not, we're not declaring that there's, there's any miraculous power in the elements, but they're just not mere elements either, Lord. Somewhere in the middle, Lord, you come in your presence and make yourself known. So, Lord, we just give you thanks for it. For the stripes on your back that were for our healing. For the mocking that was endured for our shame. For our insecurities. Lord, for the crown that was put upon your head that caused the blood to flow from around your brows. I believe, Lord, in there, there's healing for the mind. I pray for healing in our minds in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your healing power in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. The blood, it allows us to all be at the table. And every issue is under the table with the King of the Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that at your table, the topic of conversation is not our sin, it's not our shortcomings, it's not our inability to walk right. But Jesus, you are the topic of our conversation. And we say yes to you, yes to you. Lord, may this be a constant reminder that your grace is sufficient as we come to the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, let's partake together. Let's stand together. We're going to close with uh, one more song. And uh, here's the beautiful thing. In the sincerity of your heart, if you came to this place and said yes to the Lord, expect the presence of the Lord in these environments. In these environments, expect the presence of the Lord. And then when you start seeing the presence of the Lord, would you do me a huge favor? And you'll say yes by amening this. Make sure you're telling everybody. Everybody. Amen. All right, let's sing one more song together. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. 
and we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.